How many of you read a psalm every day or attempt to read at least one psalm every day? Okay, fair number of folks, which is good. So yeah, let me commend that to you. I think even if, if that's all you do, if that's all the time you have in terms of reading scripture, I commend you to read a psalm a day because the psalms are God's people raw before God, speaking truth to him in a way that I think models for us what prayer should look like in our own lives. And so for that reason, as Father James already tipped my hand, I want to look at the psalm that we read, Psalm 71. However, in my short-sightedness, I failed to let the liturgy team know that I was going to look at the whole psalm. And so they've only given you a part of it, but that's okay because I'm going to fill in the spaces. But I would suggest that maybe if you have a Bible in front of you that you turn to Psalm 71. It's, the psalms are right in the middle of the Bible, not too hard to find. And you're looking for 71. And, and this, this is a psalm that is a, a, a lament to God. A lament simply means that this psalmist is crying out to the Lord And we want to look at Psalm 71 today. I believe the Lord wants us to to look here. I have preached and we have heard uh, on that Luke 4 passage, what a great passage. We've actually heard two sermons related to that. And the Lord really drew me to 71. So go back and read the, listen to those two last sermons online if you want to, if you really want to get a sense of of Luke 4. But today let's, let's take a look at, at Psalm 71 together. The hint that this is an individual psalm of lament is that the psalmist is crying out in an individual way. It's a personal psalm. They're crying out to the Lord, and they're asking God to free them or save them from an enemy. In this case, we're told that it is a wicked man who is unjust and cruel. Any of you ever suffered under an unjust and cruel person? Ever had a wicked person pursuing you? Ever had somebody that was out to get you, destroy your reputation, to to fire you, to run you out of an organization, to discredit your name? Let me tell you, as a 55-year-old, the thing I fear most is is like being cancel cultured on on social media. I don't don't even get on social media that much, but the sound of being canceled on social media is just a horrifying thought to me that there are thousands of people who are wishing my ill and enjoying seeing my failures in a very public way. It's going on all over the place. Well, this psalmist is lamenting. He's crying out to God. And we know it's a man because it, it says later on. But it could be a man or a woman. It's, it, they're crying out to the Lord and lamenting this situation that they're under. Now, I think that even though we don't know the specifics, it can be very helpful for us. And even if you don't feel particularly that there is a person, a wicked, unjust, cruel person that's trying to get you You can probably relate this psalm in your own life as well. Maybe it's a circumstance. Maybe you feel as if demonic forces are seeking to bring you down, to discourage you, or to to ruin you, to bring you to a point of despair. Whether it's someone or something that seeks to take you down spiritually or socially or mentally or physically, I believe we can relate to the psalmist's lament here in Psalm 71. A lament is not simply just a crying out, woe is me, how horrible things are. 
A psalmist's lament is always a lament of crying out with a petition to God that God would respond and set them free from whatever it is that's troubling them. Deliver me, the psalmist says in verse 4. You don't have that, but we don't have time to go through. It's 24 verses, so we don't have time to go through all of them, but just take a look at verse 4. There's the, the sense of petition. Deliver me from this wicked, unjust, evil person. The psalmist cries out. Some, the psalmist tells us in verse 7 that they have become a portent to many. And what they mean by that, that word, if that's not familiar to you, basically means that, that this person has become like a sign, like don't be like this person, right? You ever had somebody, you were like, oh man, did you hear what happened to so-and-so? Oh my gosh, I would hate that to happen to me. And then you tell 15 other people, man, you hear what happened to so-and-so? Oh my gosh, it'd be terrible, right? We, there's something about human nature that we kind of, we, secretly we revel in, in seeing other people's misfortune, right? That's why we like reality TV shows and 90 Day Fiance and all that junk, you know, because we kind of secretly like to watch people's lives unravel before us on television or on social media or, in, or on whatever device you use these days. The psalmist is saying, I've become the portent to many. People look at me and I've become the byword. I've become the, oh, don't end up like so-and-so. But, but the psalmist says, but you, O Lord, but you, O Lord, have been my refuge. There's also a real sense in which, and all the commentaries I read wouldn't get away from this, there's a real sense in which this is clearly an older person who is afraid of being cast off in their old age, a has-been, no longer important. I never forget our bishop, who's coming next week, by the way, to do some confirmations and to be with us for last time before he retires. Our bishop, I was with him at a wedding on my 50th birthday, and I said, hey, bishop, I guess I'm middle-aged. I'm 50 now. And he said, you're not middle-aged. You're not going to live to be 100. You're old. It's like, wow, Bishop, that was a, that's a very pastoral way of putting that. So, but the reality is it's true. I likely won't live to be 100. And so I am on the older end of age, and I do have gray hair. And, and there is a sense in which we all kind of go, wow, you know, at some point I'm going to be retired and overlooked perhaps or potentially not taken as seriously as I am at whatever age you are or I am at this point. The psalmist feels that very real. And in verse 9, he says that, that there is this, this fear that he's going to be forgotten. This is how the psalmist puts it. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. As a pastor, I, I have to tell you, there, there is a certain group of people that I sometimes meet who, who, who are retired and continually want to tell me about the things they used to do and what they were before in the world. And, and I know that sense, and I, 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 I'm certain that I will sit around in, in my 80s if I live to be that long, old, to talk about, Jody says I will, and, and, to, and to talk about the good old days and all the things that I accomplished. There's a, there's a sense in which we feel that pull. And even if you're in your 20s now, remember that we older people were once in our 20s and 30s, that's how we got to be in our 50s and 60s and 70s. And, and we remember those things. And so the psalmist is very much under this pressure. But, but it's not just simply this internal. He'll say it again in verse 18. He, he, he again brings this idea up. He says, 
So even to old age and to gray hairs, he has to mention gray hairs. I don't know why. Oh, God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation. So there's the real sense in which there's an internal realization of fear of being cast off in their old age. But it's not just the internal thing because look at verse 10 and 11. In 10 and 11, we're told that it's the enemies who are also using this against this person. For my enemies speak concerning me, those, th- those who watch for my life consult together and they say, God has forsaken him. See, I told you it was a man. God has forsaken him, pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. So there's a real sense in which the psalmist is feeling, and this is what I love about psalms, why I commend them to you, because they are real prayers about real situations where a person feels as if they're being persecuted or attacked, and there's somebody that is intentionally trying to bring them down. And even if today you feel as if a circumstance is trying to bring you down, this this psalmist for you as well. So how does the psalmist respond to this feeling of vulnerability, to this feeling of attack? How do they speak a lament to the Lord in a way that helps them? Well, first of all, we're told that they, are, they remember all the countless times the Lord has acted to save and intervene in their lives over and over again, mixed in with the praise that the psalmist brings. And, remember, and notice that in the midst of this lament, there is lots of praise, there is lots of joy, but the psalmist continually comes back to all the things the Lord has done. Verse 14, but I will hope continually, I will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, verse 15, and your deeds of salvation all day long, for their number is past my knowledge. The psalmist begins to be encouraged by all the ways God has been faithful in the past. A couple in the church were telling me just this week that they got to go see the the one-act play on the life of C.S. Lewis over at the Phillips Center and how encouraged they were by the story of Lewis's conversion to Christ and how God took this very, very post-Christian, atheistic-oriented scholar and turned his heart around and drew him to himself. and He became one of the greatest apologists of the 20th century. We need to be reminded of all the works the Lord has done. I was with the group of guys at the Synod last November, and Michael was there, and uh, Jose, and Rick Gary, and we were talking, and, and we began to recount the history of God's bringing us into this place to become the church, servants of Christ, and, and all the, the things that God did to move to get us here and how he sustained us. And you probably aren't even aware of how close this parish came to not being. Pretty close. And how vulnerable at times we've been over the last however many years we've existed now, and yet here we are, God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness to, to Jody and I as we, as we took three little kids and went to Ambridge, Pennsylvania, left a perfectly good job and went up there to pursue a seminary education into a denomination that we had serious concerns about being ordained into. And yet, here we are and here God has done and what God has done for us. 
the psalmist begins to, to recount all the wonderful things that God has done, the ways God has come through. Think in your own life how he sustained you. Think back to times where you couldn't see how possibly God could work something out, and yet he was faithful. And now you're where you are because you continue to trust the Lord even in the midst of really hard circumstances. The psalmist says that if, you know, he says there's, there's a way, two ways of interpreting. He says, he says your, your righteousness reaches to the heavens. Now, there's two ways to interpret that, and I'm not even sure I know which way or care which way you would interpret it. One way would be to think, if I was to stack up all the ways you've been righteous and have acted and have intervened and have been good to me, it would, it would stack all the way to the heavens. The other way to consider it, is, which is probably the way you should consider it, is to think that, that, that your righteous acts have been broadcast to the cosmos. You are so faithful and good, Lord. You have been so faithful to me, and you've been so faithful to your people throughout time. Clearly, the psalmist begins to tap into the, the images of God's faithfulness even in Egypt as he brings his people out of captivity. Again and again, you revive me, O Lord. Again and again, you have entered into my life, and you have done things for me to save me out of circumstances. And I stand here today. Years ago, I felt God was calling me to be a pastor, but I was deathly afraid of preaching. Funny to think now because I, I love preaching. I mean, it's one of the things I enjoy probably the most. Not preparing sermons, not so much, but preaching, I love to preach. And, and yet, I think about the ways in which God has been faithful to me and brought me through circumstances. The worst night of my life probably was the night that Jody fell in 2006 and spiral fractured her femur and it felt as if our world was over. We had three school-aged children and here's my wife that's sitting in a rehab center for months. And yet God has been, was faithful then and he's still faithful today. The psalmist recounts the countless ways that God has been faithful, the way he has acted righteously in the past. And it gives him hope and courage to believe that God will once again be faithful. Once again, God will come through. At one point, he even says that, that you will revive me again. And, and this is the second point, that the, the psalmist recognizes that there are times when, when things do go poorly, when there, is, uh, when there, are, when there are not so good circumstances. Look at, look at verse 20. I, I, I love how raw and real this is. You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. I love the fact that the psalmist acknowledges I've had lots of troubles and calamities. And God has allowed those things to happen in the psalmist's life. And he's allowed things to happen in your life and in my life. And there have been times where it has been very difficult. Great troubles and calamities. But he says that you have brought me through them. And you will revive me again just as you did in the past. My way of interpreting that is to basically say, Lord, 
You and I have been through worse things than this. And you were faithful then and you will be faithful now to the end of my life. And the psalmist begins to speak by faith that. Lord, you've brought me through some really bad times. Between you and me, this is nothing. I mean, it's, it's difficult. But Lord, you have been so faithful through the tra- troubles and the calamities of my life. Let me just tell you, I'm sick of the C word. I don't mean cancer. As bad as that is, I'm sick of COVID. I, and I'm wondering if it's ever going to end. And yet, I say to the Lord, Lord, you have brought me through troubles. I've been in a place where I literally had to go to the mailbox to see if I had money to feed my kids because we were in seminary. We were dirt poor. Lord, I've been through some bad times. You've brought me through those. You will bring me through these troubles as well. That's what the psalmist does. He begins to acknowledge the troubles, but also the Lord's faithfulness. And thirdly, above all, I've already started to say it, he begins to be overwhelmed with praise. If you look at the psalm in its entirety, and I realize you only had part of it, but after verse 12, O God, be not far from me. O God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed with scorn and disgrace. May they be covered who seek my hurt. In other words, may, may justice come. May, may justice be done. After verse 13, the psalmist never again mentions their enemies. Instead, what comes out of the psalm is a crescendo of praise. It begins very, very slight, and, but, but it grows and it grows and it grows until the very end of the verses, which you didn't get. But to the end, the psalmist begins to say, let me praise you with the harp. Let me praise you with the lyre. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also which you have redeemed. There's a sense in which the psalmist begins by praising God verbally, and by the end he breaks out in song. David, where's our harp and our lyre? We need to get those out and get those ready. Because we need to be able to, to, to praise God to the full extent that we have. Now let me just say, we as Anglicans could use some help when it comes to praising, okay? We're really good when it comes to the formal praise and all the liturgical, but there's also a sense in the scriptures where God calls his people to be spontaneous in their praise of him. Now, I know you know how to praise because when your sports team does well or your grandchild does something that's even modestly good or your kids make you proud in some way, you know how to praise them. You know how to, you know what it's like to praise. When I was a young Christian, people kind of messed me up because they said, praise can't be about what God is. It has to be about who God is and not what he did. Forget all that. Praising God is encompassing of who he is and all that he has done. How he's been faithful to us in the past, how he's brought us through trouble, and how he is worthy of all of our adoration. Friends, we need to learn how to, in the midst of our difficulties, to praise the Lord. To make great his name among us. 
and to come together in praise and adoration. And to learn this from other Christians. You, you, ever, you ever get, you see worship that's like, you know, they just say the same thing over and over again. And you kind of get bored with it. It's like, you know what they're doing? They're, they're praising the Lord. They're magnifying the Lord. And they're resetting where their focus is with regard to the circumstances of their lives. Now, I don't know what this psalmist is facing. But I know this is applicable to my life and to your life. The psalmist goes on and on. He says, when I was, even before I was born, you taught me to depend upon you. This week we had our grandson Ridge with us, with our daughter Charlie. And I'm still amazed that, that any of us survive to, to, to be, I mean, you know, a, a baby is so weak and vulnerable. And, you know, and, and I'm, 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 I'm just amazed that we, we do truly learn to depend upon God even from our birth. I mean, we are so vulnerable to everything. And the psalmist says, from, from before I was born, even now that I am gray and old, God, you have been faithful to me. And so I choose to praise your name, to lift you high, to focus on that which you have done countlessly before with, with, a, with a faith to believe, a hope that you will once again come through because you've never failed. Friends, I can say to you to this day, there have been lots of times where the Lord has drugged me through all sorts of things that have not been pleasant. But the Lord has never failed me. And I want you to know that. He is worthy of all praise. I will bring glory to his name with the best of my ability to the day I take my last breath because he's worthy. And even though the psalmist doesn't say it, it alludes to it that you will even bring me back from the death depth that in fact that the ultimate praise of God is that in fact at our death he will raise us up and they will bring us into his internal his eternal presence and that we and those we love will know him face to face well quick applications and I'm done let me suggest that you practice praising that you get around some people that are good at praising and, uh, and that you learn to do it better, okay? So just take that home, learn to praise. I would also suggest that you spend time with an older saint, somebody with gray hair who can talk to you about God's faithfulness over a long period of time. That will encourage you. One of the gifts of church is that we get to be around people who've not been following Jesus for five years or 15 minutes, but 50 or 70 years. So spend time with somebody who can talk to you about God's faithfulness over the course of a lifetime. And yeah, I'm looking at my dear friend Ann Shower back there. Ann can tell you about God's faithfulness over years and years and years, and she's shaking her head. Secondly, 
If you're an older person like myself, thank you, Bishop, look for those younger people who you can declare God's praiseworthy nature to and his acts to. And it may not be the people you want to tell. Let me just tell you this. I know you want your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren, if you're so lucky, to be the recipient of all those truths. They may not be open to it, but there will be some younger person that needs to hear and is hungry to hear that God has been faithful to you year after year after year. Older person, are you open to who God might bring? And by the way, doing youth ministry, I've learned if you're in your late 30s or your mid-30s, as far as a teenager is concerned, you are ancient. So don't just think about you got to wait till you're 50 or 60. If you're in your 30s, be looking for somebody that's a teenager or a young 20-something. They need to hear that God has been faithful to you through college, through, through career choices, through relationship choices, successes and failures. And then lastly, spend time in God's word, recounting God's faithfulness, and write out from your own life where the Lord has been faithful to you and your family. Friends, I believe that the psalmist is giving us permission to lament, to cry out to God. But he's also giving us a formula for how God wants to respond and work in our lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.